Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Hey, it's the Tom Hartman Podcast brought to you by Cameron Hughes Wine. There's a little secret that most people don't know about the highest quality wineries in the United States and how they work. They'll say, you know, as they start their year, okay, we're going to bottle say 5,000 bottles of wine this year. And so they overproduce for that, produce enough for maybe 6,000 bottles of wine. But, you know, they've, they've sold 5,000, they're ready to get 5,000 out. And so that's basically all they do under their own label. And then when they're done, they've got casks of wine left over that haven't been bottled. Cameron Hughes contracts with some of the very best vineyards in America to take that essentially surplus wine I mean, you know, it's the exact same wine you would buy in a bottle for 50, 60, 100. Uh, one of the Cameron Hughes wines I had last week, the retail price, if you knew who the brand was, was over $150 a bottle. Cameron Hughes buys that in bulk, bottles it, puts just a simple number. Here it is, lot 506 or lot 622. Simple number on it, and you get some of the most spectacular wines at huge discounts off what you would normally pay. Cameron Hughes has been doing this since 2001, seeking out high-end wine from around the world and selling it online direct to his customers. This is not just American wines. Earning Cameron Hughes Wine the number one wine brand online. It's just extraordinary stuff. Uh, I recently sampled Lot 609. This is a Cabernet Sauvignon. It was insane. It was so good. It was bold. It was rich. It had the, the black fruit and red licorice and crushed red rock. All these, these extraordinary tastes, juicy and ripe on the palate. You got to check this out. Go to chwine.com slash Tom, T-H-O-M. C-H as in Cameron Hughes. That's his name. He, the guy who started the company and runs it. I've talked with him. He's a great guy and he's doing amazing stuff. chwine.com slash T-H-O-M. Or text the word wine, W-I-N-E. Text the word wine to 511-511 and you'll get free shipping with your minimum three bottle order. So text wine to 511 511 Cameron Hughes Wine. Exceptional value. Extraordinary wine. Now enjoy the podcast. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Greetings, my friends, patriots, lovers of democracy, truth, and justice, believers in peace, freedom, and the American way. Tom Hartman here with you. Yesterday, at the very end of the show, I had a, uh, a caller who uh, basically, uh, an African-American caller, was basically asking, you know, what have the Democrats done for me? And I said, well, there's civil rights. And, uh, but, but the thing that tripped me on this, or, or tripped this button, triggered a button in my head, was... Uh, the fact that I know that this is a Republican trolling line and, in fact, that has been promoted by Donald Trump explicitly in his speeches and that uh, I believe was even part of the Marina Butina uh, indictment. And uh, so I, I was, uh, shall we say, a little pissed off, I guess is the right phrase, uh, that this guy you know, kind of caught me and was, was 50 seconds to go at the end of the show. And uh, I think my... My response to him came off as dismissive or even condescending, and um, uh, you know, it's, it, 
But, well, maybe it was intended that way. Anyhow, I, I wanted to reality check all this with our old friend Joe Madison, whose uh, show is on Sirius XM every day from, from uh, 6 to 10 a.m. on uh, Sirius Channel 126. He's a civil and human rights activist. JoeMadison.com is his website. His Twitter handle is MadisonSiriusXM. Joe, welcome back to the program. Hey, Tom. Thank you. Thanks for joining us. So uh, your thoughts and how you would respond to somebody asking that question. Well, I, I got the same question, and it might have been from the same folk, and they always, first of all, let's, let's understand something. Nobody admits to being a troll, so let, let's, let's recognize even when they're caught. Uh, so that's, that's the first thing. But I got the same question not too long ago, and I got that, a, a, a matter of fact, quite a bit during the uh, last presidential campaign, and it was also an attempt to try to discourage African-Americans from either one, voting for Hillary, two, going to the polls, uh, and then three, saying voting does no good. And they usually start off with, okay, what has this party done for you? Well, I got the question the other day. Now, here's how I responded to it. I said, let's, let's take just five general categories. One, criminal justice. Uh, look at the Democratic position on criminal justice. It's very clear. I won't go through the ABCDs of it. Two, environmental justice, particularly as it relates to uh, lead in public school waters. I think 90% of the public schools, they're not even providing funding, get this, not even providing funding to test the waters to make sure that it's safe uh, and, and what has to be done to get the lead out of the water. Two, public education. Number three, uh, the, the health care. But let me just give this person who called in a couple of things that Democrats have done, and they're not perfect by any means, by any means. Uh, just during President Obama's administration, you had 62 lifetime appointments of African Americans to serve on the federal bench. 62. This included uh, nine African American circuit uh, court judges, including 26 African American women appointed to the federal court, which, by the way, is more African American women appointed by any president uh, in history. I, I mean, I could go to the health care. Uh, the Democrats pushed for the Affordable Care Act. And if you look at the Affordable Care Act, I would have said to the troll, you had roughly 9 million African Americans uninsured who now will have health insurance through the Affordable uh, Care Act. And what we do know the Republican Party did was what? They fought it tooth and nail every single time. Department of Justice. The Democrats, the Democrats investigated several police departments as shootings of unarmed black men by officers and deaths in, uh, in custody began, became epidemic and, again, led to the, uh, um, you know, Black Lives Matter. And that slogan, what did Republicans say? Oh, it's racist. No, it wasn't. Black Lives Matter, I'll say it again, it was a statement of focus not exclusion. Let me repeat. It was a statement of focus, not exclusion. And almost every single Republican candidate for office and existing uh, uh, office holder said, and the, and the social media is full of their comments, uh, it's a racist statement, but it's not. It's focus, not exclusion, because, yes, we know all lives matter. Um, unemployment. 7.9%, uh, and I know the Trump folks are talking about unemployment is down, but I just read a Bloomberg report where, yes, unemployment is down, but guess what happened with this $1.5 trillion tax cut for the wealthy? Wages are down. It's a report out today. I spent uh, about a half an hour today on my show talking about it, Tom. Wages are not only stagnant, they're down. And most of the money from the tax cut went to the super wealthy that you talk about uh, every single day. But under Democratic leadership, uh, just recent, and I'm talking about recent now, I'm not going to go back into history, recent black poverty decline by a net of 23.6 percentage points. Hmm. Uh, but by the way, grew 
Now get this, by three points when Republicans held the White House. Now, I'm not, I'm not, this is facts. And that's part of the problem when you're dealing with trolls. They don't want to deal with facts. And I don't know how you argue whether you've got five seconds left or five hours left, because if you give them a fact, if I tell you this is a telephone I'm talking on, and they tell you that it's a bullhorn, then what do we do? I mean, we, we can't argue. And so that's why I really don't argue with them, because they're there. And I will say one other thing. Uh, and I think I mentioned this to you the other day. These, these ind- the indictment of some, what, 12 Russian generals, I believe, assigned by Putin. We know that's a fact. Uh, they targeted African-American uh, social media and talk radio. And the, and the person who showed me the three or four pages in the indictment said to me, and this is a person who is well-established in the intelligence community, said to me, look, Russians are good. They're very good at doing this, and they've been doing it a long time. But they aren't that good that they know how to communicate with the African-American community. So I'm not surprised that you got that call because it's the same call I've got. But anybody can Google the information that I just shared with you in what, less than five minutes. Sure, and, and did a great job of it. Um, the, the, the one particular peril is the wrong word because it makes me sound like a victim, but as, as a white guy talking to an African-American who's asking what have the Democrats done for you, and then I say, well, you know, civil rights or uh, you know, look at, the, look at the makeup of the Republican caucus. You've only got one black senator, one black member of the House, and neither one of them want to join the, the, Demo- the, uh, the Congressional uh, Black Caucus. The, yeah, exactly. Um, it comes across as condescending or as, you know, how dare you even ask me? You know, like it, it, it comes across sounding like some kind of super white privilege or something, and, and I'm, I'm sure that's how I came across sounding. How do I deal with that? I, I mean, I didn't hear the conversation. I quite honestly, yeah, I, I, I wouldn't. Uh, I wouldn't really. I, I would stick with facts. Yeah. Uh, that that's exactly. Look, the reality is that. Look, you know, I I heard your show the other day when you played, and I've played this a lot. Lee Atwater's Southern strategy. Yeah. I've had, and see, here's what they'll do. They'll call in and say, well, Democrats were, uh, were racist. Yes, they were, they, they were for, 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 from the civil, uh, end of the post-Civil War until probably, uh, what, about the time that, uh, Humphrey, I'm sorry, Humphrey, Truman, uh, integrated the armed forces, which led then to, uh, more integration with Eisenhower, and then, of course, the Democrats through Humphrey, uh, the pendulum swung towards civil rights, the labor movement, and then what happened? Dixiecrats, who were Democrats, Southern Democrats, were invited to join the Republican Party. There is, you have that uh, audio clip. You have of, of Lee. Uh, Lee at, yeah, I can Lee play it right now if you'd like. Well, go ahead, and and he talks about how to make race abstract. It'll yeah. do the same thing, but it's abstract. Yeah. Actually, the one I've got, I'm looking at the waveform on it, and I'm not sure that it's been beeped. Um, so, Here's uh, how I would approach that issue as a, as a, as a statistician by political science. Or, no, as a psychologist, which I'm not, is, is how abstract you handle the race thing. In other words, you start out, and now you don't want to me. You start out in 1954 by saying, yeah, we did. By 1968, you can't say that, that hurts your backfire, so you say stuff like uh, force buzzing, states' rights, and all that stuff. And then he goes on and he says, you know, and then you get into economic issues, which hurt black folks more than white, white folks, and uh, now you're totally abstract. I- now you're totally abstract, and I lived, look, I, I, I cut my political teeth, we're about the same age, mm-hmm. on that period of time. Yep. And so the, the Dixiecrats then joined the what? The Republican Party, and then went from there to the Tea Party. And, you know, we, we, we tend to forget that on inauguration night, well, let me go back to what the Democrats have we, done. We have, uh, we have again, about 40 seconds, Joe, just well, until we hit a heartbreak. Again, you know, they're not perfect. 
They're not perfect. But I tell you, if I were a Republican and a coal miner, I'd be wondering why they haven't helped coal miners that are now dying of black lung disease. And I could list a few other things that Republicans ought to be asking. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, that's pretty, pretty important stuff. What has the Republican Party done for you? Thank you. I mean, you know, this is this is uh, it's it's pretty incredible. Joe, thanks so much for for dropping in. And, um, uh, you know, I know that you've got you've got to get to something else. But, uh, you know, I, I, I really appreciate you dropping in and discussing this with us. Thank you. I'm anytime, Tom. Joe Madison, the great Joe Madison. You can hear him on Sirius XM channel 129 uh, every morning, weekdays, uh, 6 a.m. to 10 a.m. Uh, civil and human rights activist. JoeMadison.com is his website. Madison Sirius XM is his Twitter handle. We'll be back. It's 18 minutes past the hour here on the Tom Hartman program. What has the Democratic Party done for you, whoever you may be, lately? And what more would you like it to do? This is the Tom Hartman program. Excuse me. Joe's, uh, Joe's on channel 126 on Sirius XM, not 129. Channel 126. And welcome back. Oh, my. Let's see here. Uh, Omar in Herndon, Virginia. Hey, Omar, what's on your mind? Tom, how are you doing today? I hope, uh, just to uh, answer your question, what the uh, Democrats have done, I, I think the most important thing is health care and also uh, the equal pay for women. So, so the Democrat does a lot. I mean, comparing Democrat to Republican, it's like apple and oranges. And what we need to do is just need to galvanize the Democrat Party because their ideas, they help the common man. And, Tom, you yeah. always say that the Republican Party, and I agree with 100%, is for the rich and, 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 and these corporate billionaires who have no interest. All they're interested about is, is, is getting money for their, for their wallet. So the Democratic Party is the party of the common man. And yeah. I just wanted to say that. Um, okay. but, I wanted to, um, but I wanted to talk about, uh, about the war. And I really am very concerned that we're going to end up going to a war with Iran. Mm-hmm. Because uh, because I just read an article in Al Hayat. It's an editorial by a journalist who uh, covered the war in uh, Yemen, and he's basically said that the Saudis are getting frustrated because the war in Yemen is becoming like Vietnam to them. They're losing a lot of manpower and they're losing a lot of money, and they're trying to bomb their way out to victory. Right. And they're trying to and they're trying to drag the United States in by basically telling the American, "Look, you guys plan to attack Iran anyway. Why don't you start in Yemen?" You know, well, we're already in. I mean, we're 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 flying the uh, air refueling planes yeah. uh, for the Saudi Air Force. I mean, you know, we're helping them. We're 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 helping them with their bombing of Yemen, which has created a massive refugee crisis, killed thousands of people, displaced uh, over a half a million, maybe as many as a million people on the brink of starvation right now. There's a major uh, cholera epidemic going on because they bombed you know critical infrastructure for clean water and things. I mean, this is a humanitarian disaster of epic proportions, Omar. It, it is, and, and, and they want, like, but the Saudis, they want troops. They want special uh, operation troops in, in, um, in Yemen. Well, don't they have and, a few hundred of us right now? They do. They do have some, but they, want, they really want the United States to get involved because they're not winning the war, and, right. and, and they're losing a lot of manpower, and it's almost like becoming Vietnam to them. I, 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 you know, in my mind, Omar, I was thinking when, when the Saudis, you know, went after Yemen like that, I was wondering, is this a rehearsal for Iran? Hmm. Wow! Wow! That I, I, that that is a good point. That is absolutely, and I think it's, it's a rehearsal point. And the second point in the editorial that he talked about is that basically the Israelis think that if they don't attack Iran right now, they will never get a chance. I mean, yeah. the perfect opportunity is under Trump administration, and I think it's just a matter of time before they attack Iran. Uh, and then once Iran attack Israel, the United States going to get engaged in the war to try to defend Israel. Yeah, and that's how I see it playing out, too. And I, I'm, I'm concerned that um, both Donald Trump and Bibi Netanyahu are both, uh, Netanyahu is under explicit indictment. He's been indicted for crimes, mm-hmm. as has his wife. Um, Trump is yeah. on the edge of being indicted for crimes. So both of them are in a position where if they could get their countries into a war, uh, mm-hmm. People would be more inclined to pay attention to the war and rally around the flag than to uh, go, huh? You committed crimes, really? You're corrupt, you know? And yeah, exactly. And that would be just like what George Bush did in 2004. And 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 that's the third point that he pointed out yeah. that Trump might feel like he want to get reelected, and then his strategy is just to go into a war. Yeah. And 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 and, and, and Trump, in fact, suggested uh, back in 2011 that President Obama was was going to bomb Iran in order to get real, you know, in order to push the elections of 2012. 
Uh, it's bizarre how this guy thinks. Omar, thank you for the call. Good to hear from you. We'll be back. It's 22 and a half minutes past the hour. back 24 and a half minutes past the hour and uh sereno in uh new haven connecticut hey sereno what's up hello tom thanks for taking my call sure. i just wanted to um chime in on the trolls yeah. that are that are cranking up again um i i've called i've called in before about this and i also listened to joe madison i i do consulting and i travel back and forth between the united states and asia a lot on business and one thing I've noticed in my position is I've seen the chain mails that go back and forth with the talking points hmm. that trolls use. And I notice when I'm online, if you know, because we we you know we have to protect our networks and we use various tools. When I'm online, we can see the dissemination of the chain mails that carry the talking points. Wow. So when I and when I listen to your show and I hear a caller call up with those talking points, I've seen them on paper before you before you know they've called you. And the same for Joe Madison's show, they have the exact same talking points. And I actually for Joe's show one time, I actually emailed him the email itself that I just you know grabbed off of uh, individuals PC. Um, now, as an IT professional, we can't act on that email when a user receives it, we can only act if someone disseminates it from a work computer. But I can tell you this, hundreds and hundreds of employees for companies all over, they get the same chain email. Hmm. And um, so this have, is, like, it, a, is this something that happens? Like if you, if you join a, a Facebook group or, or uh, you know, a website or some sort of discussion group that, that is, you know, hard right, they've got your email address and you start getting this stuff in email. Uh, you have to be down the rabbit hole pretty far to get some of the emails that we've gleaned. Yeah. And when I say, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking more in terms of 4chan, where people meet, and 4chan, the whole purpose is it goes away by itself after a while, but people feel each other out, and then it progresses over to other websites like Reddit, and mm -hmm. from there to Facebook groups, and it's a pretty loose-knit organization, but the hub of the operation stays consistent. And even if someone, they'll, they'll discard an email address, it's still, they still get the new email address to disseminate the talking point. Yeah, remarkable stuff. Uh, Serena, thank you for the call, and thanks for the information. And, uh, but, you know, let's, uh, even if that guy was not a troll, and, and, you know, I thought he was, Joe thought he was, but who knows, maybe he was just an honest guy who, who got that message from a troll and was like, hey, here's a serious question. We have to consider the answers. You're listening to the Tom Hartman Program. Call 202-808-9925. And it has to be better answers than, hey, buddy, you got civil rights. Stop bothering me. That's you know, not going to work. Hey, do you brush with an electric toothbrush or have you wanted to? If you're using one of the one of the older, bigger, bulkier, you know, and some of them you know, are so aggressive they can even damage your mouth, uh, tooth, electric toothbrushes, uh, or if you've never used an electric toothbrush, I want you to pay attention. There's a new electric toothbrush. Time Magazine called it the invention of the year, right? Uh, it's called Quip, Q-U-I-P. It's slim, it's lightweight, it's about the size of a regular toothbrush. It's got a, you know, a little AAA battery inside that powers it and powers it for months at a time uh, be, between changes. And it, it does a really great job. It aggressively cleans your teeth, but it does so in a way that's good for your gums and good for your teeth. It's a, the perfect two-minute clean. So check this thing out. And it's great for traveling. It comes with a little tube that you can drop it in to travel because, like I said, it's about the size of a regular toothbrush, much, much smaller than your, than your big electric toothbrushes. And you can find out all about it at getquip.com slash Tom. That's G-E-T, getquip, Q-U-I-P, dot com slash T-H-O-M. Getquip.com slash Tom. 
for more information. It's only 25 bucks, and they send you the refills, the, the brush heads that you're supposed to replace every three months. Every three months, they'll send those to you for only $5 free shipping. It's an amazing deal. Getquip.com slash Tom. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Right, Tom Hartman here with you. Welcome back to the uh, second hour of our program. I just, uh, apropos of our last hour, and, uh, and then we'll get to Jamal Abdi in just a moment, but apropos of our last hour, Dynasty Shadrelm just tweeted to me. He said, Tom, what I feel Democrats haven't done, reparations, African-Americans listed as a protected class, police reform, African-American contracts for construction and other projects in their community. Uh, police reform, as I as I pointed out, is something that's that's on, uh, you know, big on the screen of the Democratic Party, and in fact is moving forward very rapidly in California. But nationally, uh, yeah, I haven't seen that much, and I think that's a pretty good list as a starting point. But you know, let's also talk about Iran. I, I closed the last hour, or toward the end of the last hour, uh, quoting a tweet from Donald Trump in 2011 when Barack Obama was about to run for re-election. And he tweeted, in order to get elected, Barack Obama will start a war with Iran. So Donald Trump, back in 2011, seven years ago, was thinking, gee, for an American politician to get reelected in the United States, one of the best things he could do is have a war with Iran. And, and if he didn't think that was something that would be successful politically, he wouldn't attribute it to uh, Barack Obama. Right? I mean, you know, it's, just, it's kind of rational. So, uh, you know, Trump has already told us how he thinks about this, that war with Iran is a good thing in terms of politics. Uh, I'm, I'm curious Jamal Abdi's thoughts on this. He's the vice president for policy at NIAC, the National Iranian American Council, and the executive director of NIAC Action. The website, NIAC, NIAC.org, and, uh, and you can tweet him at jabdi, A-B-D-I. Uh, Jamal, welcome back to the program. Thanks for having me back, Tom. So, what, A, what is your take on my take about Donald Trump's 2011 tweet? And, and, and how does that inform your thinking on what Trump is up to right now? And what's your, your analysis of the current state of affairs? Is this all bluster, or could we be looking down the barrel of World War III? There's a lot there. Feel free to go off. We, we've... Uh, we've so we're spending a lot of time trying to assess the motivations behind this and, of course, other actions by this president. And it's always, you know, it's always a matter of not wanting to fall into a trap of actually thinking that there's a strategy behind some of this stuff. Um, and, and so for this, I don't know if this was coordinated, if this was, if this was planned out, or if this was a spur-of-the-moment decision that he made. This tweet came on the heels of a speech by his Secretary of State, Mike Pompeo, uh, in California, aimed at Iranian-Americans. He invited Iranian-Americans to attend the speech. It was at the Reagan Library, where he was effectively making the case for regime change without saying regime change, and actually, you know, actively saying, we don't seek regime change, we just seek all of these changes in the regime. And I'm now speaking to an audience of Iranian-Americans and, and, and dissidents and people like that. Um, and so for this to come right after that, it feels like it's part of a coordinated move. Um, John Bolton, who I think he and Pompeo are similarly hawkish about Iran, Pompeo, I think, is a little bit more practical, whereas, Pom uh, whereas Bolton is more ideological and has been advocating for bombing Iran very explicitly for years. Um, and then you have Mattis, who is also with Pompeo in California, who is against going to war with Iran. He wants to challenge Iran in, in other ways. Uh, and so what I'm, what I'm trying to figure out here is, um, you know, the, the day after this tweet came out, um, John Bolton went to great lengths to reiterate that this was the president's position. And, you know, he went and did press on the tweet itself instead of trying to walk it back or explain away why the president would do this. He was really emphasizing this. And to me, that means that John Bolton may be the one behind this trying to hmm. get this president to take a more provocative position towards Iran. Bolton, who editorialized in the Washington Post a year or three ago uh, that the best way to stop Iran from having a bomb is to bomb Iran. Yes, yes. One of the 
few people, there, there are many people in Washington who want to go in that direction. He's one of the rare people who will actually say it publicly, which yeah. I, I appreciate him for. Um, but, so, but to get to what you're talking about, sort of the political dimensions of this, I mean, you know, there's a lot of speculation. You know, there's some wag the dog going on where he's got uh, numerous scandals involving Russia and uh, his lawyer and all these other things. Oh, and so does Bibi Netanyahu, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, they both have, like, have a strong incentive to change the conversation away from absolutely. the crimes that they're both being charged with. Yeah, yes. And, you know, I, 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 think, um, I, I think Trump is a, a student of politics, maybe not an A student, but uh, mm -hmm. he's, he's, he's got a knack. And I think he knows what, what this type of, uh, you know, th this preparation for war would do for him politically. Um, but I really think that there's sort of some some uh, back and forth going on inside the White House about sort of what this Iran policy actually is. They're rolling it out as they're sort of figuring out what the end game is, I think. At the same time, Bolton, in, or not Bolton, Pompeo, in his speech, um, talked about how corrupt the current Iranian government is, how the Grand Ayatollah has amassed billions of dollars and stashed it offshore, um, that a number of these people are you know, who rule the country are basically kleptocrats. Um, how is, how are the Iranian, first of all, is there truth to that? And secondly, um, what's the best way to deal with that? I mean, I, or, I mean, I get it. It's really none of our business how Iran runs its own internal affairs a, 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 until it starts, you know, interfering with us. But, but what does, the, well, I guess I've asked my question. Toss it back to you. Well, the, the, what Pompeo said, some of it was exaggerated, much of it was true. Um, the, the question is the messenger. I mean, this is, suddenly this is an administration that cares about, uh, <laughs> about the leaders of government benefiting from their service. Uh, I think they need right. to look in the mirror. Um, and then, you know, they, they want to talk about human rights and all these other things. Well, we are cozying up with some of the greatest abusers of human rights in the region. So I think these points are, are true. And actually, these are points that resonate with Iranians, um, which is you know, I think very much calculated by Pompeo and the administration is uh, the reason for going out with this messaging, even though it, it rings so hypocritical when you look at what all they're doing. But, you know, there were protests um, in Iran at the end of last year. There have been some ongoing protests, mostly about the economy. But what really triggered them or helped trigger them was the revelation of how much of the Iranian budget is going to these private foundations of um, some of the, the clerics and the religious leaders and, and, and things like that. And so when these revelations have, have come out, this is actually something that does mobilize uh, Iranians who are not doing well economically to, uh, to, to uh, you know, come out against the government. Does it, does it like mobilize that. them to, in a way that would be productive, like, you know, Americans saying, hey, you know, <laughs> look at how how uh, uh, Jeff Bezos is now the richest man in the world, and yet a third of his employees uh, in California are, or in Arizona or wherever it was are on food stamps. Um, and maybe we should legislatively do something about that, like forcing a ra raising the minimum wage or allowing unions. Um, you know, that's, that seems like a productive response as opposed to an unproductive response, which would be, you know, uh, I'm furious about this. Just tear the thing down, right? You know, it's, and, and which leads to chaos and, and that sort of thing. Right. Absolutely. And, and then the other dynamic here is it's not as if, um, you know, an American news source or some trusted, you know, journalist is coming out and saying this. This is a political tool. This is as if, you know, Putin or, you know, uh, Ayatollah Khamenei came out with this line about Bezos and uh, or, or about, you know, corruption in the American system precisely to um, destabilize the system, not to actually come up with any solution to it. So really what this does by co-opting this message that is resonant among some of the opposition in Iran, uh, the U.S. is really taking that away from them. It's very hard to organize around these things if it is, uh, you know, rightly perceived as being a something orchestrated by an outside, you know, a foreign government, which is sensitive in any context, but particularly in Iran and the lessons of U.S. interventions in the region, not to mention you know, the U.S. toppling of the prime minister, democratically elected prime minister in Iran, in Iran in 53. So this is very self-serving. I don't think it actually does anything positive for the people of Iran or even the opposition. So this uh, is probably uh, hurting the reformers. And I, would you consider Rouhani a, a reformer rather than helping them? Would I consider him a reformer? Uh, I mean, I think he's a, he's a, 
he's a moderate. He's not really a true member of the reformists, but he kind of balances between the the different factions and definitely has trended that way on on certain issues. Yeah, fascinating. So what what can Americans do to prevent war with Iran, assuming that that's a desirable thing, I mean, to prevent a war? Well, the, the, the silver lining here is that, you know, once the cat's out of the bag, we can actually organize against it. So I was watching this campaign unfold of regime change and, and setting the stage for something really ugly. And if it's happening in private, it's hard to actually get people mobilized around it. Um, so at this point in time, you know, we need lawmakers to be hearing from their constituents about how disturbed and upset they are by this and uh, express their hope that lawmakers will actually push back against this. And already we are hearing a lot of members of Congress pushing back against the tweet. Um, but we need to make this a political loss for the president and for anybody who's advocating for military action or U.S.-led regime change uh, in Iran or, or anywhere else, frankly. Yeah. Yeah, sounds like a sounds like a solid thing. Jamal Abdi is the vice president of, for policy of the National Iranian American Council. NIAC, NIAC.org is the website. Jamal, thanks so much for dropping by today. Always a pleasure. Thank you. I, I appreciate you know a, 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 an in-depth conversation. It's very very considerate of you. Thank you. We'll be back with more of the news of the day, your calls, and my thoughts on all of the above in just a moment. And welcome back. Jeffrey in Miami, Florida, watching us on Free Speech TV. Hey, Jeffrey, what's up? Hey, hi, Tom. Uh, you know, I'm not disagreeing with you. But we oh, this is Jesse, not Jeffrey. Hey, Jesse. I'm sorry. Yeah, uh, she gets my name wrong sometimes. Uh, I'll be on speakerphone, that's it. Yeah. Okay. Uh, the Democrats are hypocrites. And the hypocrisy is very, very deep. And it goes back to the founding fathers when they said freedom, prosperity for all, and all they was really talking about was the property owners. Yeah. It applies today. The Republicans and the Democrats represent the, the uh, property owners. And then tokenism is given to white and blacks as far as the 99% is concerned. And basically... If the Democrats really want to be taken for real and, and just be Democrats, represent the people, not what the founding fathers represent, people of property, and then throw some peanuts to the have-nots, and then just as quick as they throw it to them, just as quick as they could take it away. So uh, that's just, it's always a struggle to say, well, we want this, we want that, yeah. and then... The Dems and the Republicans say, okay, y'all made enough noise here. Let's give you a few tokens to shut you up. So, but, but Jesse, isn't that, that how politics has always worked? I mean, whether it was women trying to get the vote, whether it was you know African Americans trying to a get freedom and then get the vote, um, and then and now you know achieve economic parity, um, whether it's people who are trying to stop nuclear power plants, whether it's people who are trying, I'm you know, it's like all of these mo people who were. You know, agitating to create an agency inside the government to protect our environment after the Cuyahoga River caught on fire back in the early 70s um, or late 60s. It seems, and, and I, you know, I, I lived through the through the anti-Vietnam War movement, and it seems like at every step of the way, power never cedes power or wealth unless demands are placed on it. And so, of of course, you know, a noisy minority has to be noisy, in re and and there, and when they get something. Uh, you know, sometimes, yeah, sometimes it's a token in as, in as much as it is really nothing that they're getting. It's just to be perceived as something. But sometimes they actually get something, you know. And, and can, I say, can, can I say this? Yeah, go for it. When, when the founding fathers made their demands, they didn't ask for a vote or protest. They, they drew the tea in the river. Mm -hmm. They said, hey, <laughs> if we're going to get your attention, it's seems like this is what it takes. Yeah, it was a million-dollar act of vandalism in 1773. 240 years ago, it's, it's still work, could work today. If we're going to really get demands instead of begging and pro protesting and marching, we got to start throwing some tea in the river. So uh, convert that to reality, Jesse. We've got 16 seconds. What do you mean? We, we, hey, we, we go to the uh, Federal Reserve and start throwing some of that money into the river 
and start printing some money we could use. Hmm. Okay. I don't, I'm not sure how that would work, but because uh, the the Fed, I mean, it's all electronic now. But but I get your point that that you know we, we and and that's a really good question. And Jesse, thank you so much for the call. Is you know what is it that we should be doing if we're going to have a new Tea Party? What is it that we should be doing? Uh, you know, what is it that, you know, uh, across the spectrum of, of, shall we call it, interest groups in America, what should all of us be doing? We'll be back. Welcome back. Tom Harmon here with you. And uh, Nate just gave me the movement for uh, a vision for black lives. This is from the movement for black lives. Policy demands for black power, freedom, and justice. And this is a great summary. Of, yeah, this is from policy.m4bl.org. And uh, number one, end the war on black people. We demand an end to the war against black people. Since this country's inception, there have been named and unnamed wars in our, on our communities. We demand an end to the criminalization, incarceration, and killing of our people. Number two, reparations. We demand reparations for past and continuing harms. The government, responsible corporations, and other institutions that have profited off the harm they have inflicted on black people, from colonialism to slavery, through food and housing, redlining, mass incarceration, and surveillance must repair the harm done. We've discussed this a number of times in this program. It's been a while since we've had that conversation. Divest, invest. We demand investments in the education, health, and safety of black people instead of investments in the criminalizing, caging, and harming of black people. We want investments in black communities determined by black communities and divestment from exploitative forces including prisons, fossil fuels, police, surveillance, and exploitative corporations. Economic justice. We demand economic justice for all and a reconstruction of the economy to ensure black communities have collective ownership, not merely access. Community control. We demand a world where most, those most impacted in our communities control the laws, control the institutions and the policies that are meant to serve us, from our schools to our local budgets, economies, police departments, and our land, while recognizing that the rights and histories of our indigenous family must also be respected. And I'll reach to Native Americans as well. And finally, political power. We demand independent black political power and black self-determination in all areas of society. We envision a remaking of the current U.S. political system in order to create a real democracy where black people and all marginalized people can effectively exercise full political power. And what are we getting from the Republican Party in response to this? Oh, let's make it harder for people to vote. Let's purge people from the voting lists. Let's, uh, you know, and, and it just goes... The, the, the war on, on, well, on communities of color, on black people, continues in the Republican Party. It's, it's just, it's pretty, pretty friggin' breathtaking. Marvin in Fort Myers, Florida. Hey, Marvin, what's on your mind? Hey, Tom, how you doing? Good. I uh, just, just want to make uh, some quick points. Um, the thing that you just got done talking about, I think the investment in education is the most realistic right now if we could do it today. Yeah. Uh, Secondly, uh, the gentleman from Miami uh, who just talked, Jesse, and the yeah. lady from yeah, Jesse, and the lady from uh, Seattle, uh, I, I think they should uh, maybe do a little research. Uh, like you just got done saying, Democrats have always pushed for you know helping the poor, uh, helping minorities. Uh, I can think of number one, the Affordable Care Act. Come on, hello, you know. Um, thirdly, uh, what you just got done pointing out. The the issue with oh I lost I lost my train of thought there for a second. Uh, that's that's okay. While you're while you're recovering it, I'll point out the Affordable Care Act. The the largest part of the Affordable Care Act that would have benefited African Americans, and you know, keeping in mind the African American community encompasses the entire spectrum from very very wealthy Americans to very poor Americans, but as a consequence of all these years of institutional racism is more heavily concentrated in the middle class and lower middle class and poor area than is the broad white community. And therefore, Medicaid, which is low, you know, free health care or low-cost health care for people who are working at low-wage jobs, um, Medicaid was the, probably the largest health care benefit to African Americans in the United States. And what did the Republicans do? They challenged it all the way to the Supreme Court which came out and said, no, if you're a red, if you've got a state that's controlled by Republicans, you don't have to expand Medicaid. And so 
millions of people across the United States for the last, what, three, four, five years have not had access to, to good health care because Obamacare was not extended. Back to you. Absolutely, absolutely. And the one last thing that I just want to say, uh, the gentleman talking about, Jesse talking about going up to Federal Reserve or whatever and taking all the money out, that, that constitutes theft. And that's, that's not the way that we go about doing it. Yeah. I do think that his point about the Tea Party, though, you know, uh, you got to do something to wake people up. I'm not, I'm not advocating, uh, you know, violence or vandalism. The Tea Party was an act of vandalism and arguably one of violence, of, you know, they used force, but, or threatened force. But some sort of great shocking action, I think, you know, we should brainstorm. Thank you, You're Robin. listening to the Tom Hartman Program. Call 202-808-9925. Uh, coming up on 28 Minutes Past the Hour. It's the Tom Hartman Program, the true people's media. Back with your calls right after this. You know, in the world of work, one of the most important things is one of the things that people probably think the least about until they have to sit in it, which is their chair. And the X chair is absolutely extraordinary. This is the new high-tech. In fact, they've got a brand new version. It's called the X3, the newest version of the X chair. It is comfortable. It is high-tech. And yes, I'll say it, it is sexy. This chair is extraordinary. And it will dramatically, consequentially improve your concentration and productivity because it's going to help your posture. And, you know, if you're not in pain and, you're, and your blood is working, you know, flowing well, your brain is going to work well. The new X3 is quite simply the most modern, ergonomic, high-tech, comfortable office chair in the world, period. The X3's unique ATR fabric makes it feel like you're literally floating on air. And its patented split-back lumbar technology provides a cradling, customized feel that has to be experienced to believe. You need to see and feel the X3 for yourself. Go to xchairtom.com. That's xchairtom.com now to check out the X3's perfect blend of design and ergonomics. A lot of people, you know, checking these out and going for these chairs. Supplies are limited, so don't wait. Order at xchairtom.com. And if you do it now, you get $100 off. That's xchairtom.com. Or you can call them at 1-844-4X-CHAIR. This chair comes with a 30-day, no-questions-asked guarantee of complete satisfaction. That's how good it is. Go to xchairtom.com. Right now, use the code TOM, T-H-O-M, to get a free footrest. XChairTom.com. Now back to the podcast. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Welcome back. Donald Trump just tweeted, uh, yeah, just just, uh, a few hours ago. I'm very concerned that Russia will be fighting very hard to have an impact on the upcoming election. Really? Did you discuss this with Mr. Putin in Helsinki, President Putin? I'm very concerned that Russia will be fighting very hard to have an impact on the upcoming election. And then he continues, based on the fact that no president has been tougher on Russia than me, they will be pushing very hard for the Democrats. They definitely don't want Trump! Exclamation mark. Right. So this is just like, in my opinion, uh, this is just like I pointed out uh, yesterday, I believe it was, that uh, Trump has tweeted that the Fed shouldn't be raising interest rates right now and uh, that it'll harm our economy. And I, you know, when I retweeted that, I retweeted it with a comment that, you know, hey, <laughs> Trump knows the economy's going to tank. He is pre-blaming it on the Fed. Well, here, Trump knows that the, Repo- that the De- Republicans are going to lose, the Democrats are going to win big in the election in 2018, you know, knock wood, and, uh, and he's pre-blaming the Russians. Really? <laughs> that's, that's all you got, Donnie? Uh, Spanky? Amazing. Steve in Chicago. Hey, Steve, what's on your mind? Yes, thank you for taking my call. I wanted to make a couple of points. Uh, I was actually shocked to find that the stand-your-ground law in states like Texas is sort of a backup to existing law, such that if it didn't exist, uh, this gentleman who would probably be indicted would stand a good chance of getting off nonetheless because of existing law. This is just the sort of... Well, a lot of it depends on the prosecutors and the judges and the Federalist Society and and other, you know, corporate shill organizations have been 
really aggressive at getting right wing, I mean, hard right judges, Brett Kavanaugh hard right judges appointed uh, to lifetime appointments on the federal bench. They're, they're cranking as many as they can. They're running, you know, dozens of them through every month. Right. After well, blocking Obama we, for five years on this. Right, because unfortunately, the circumstances of this particular case is sort of muddy the waters. And they, yeah. you know, uh, understand your ground, you are not obligated to, to run away, despite the fact that you have the opportunity to do so. So the fact that this one individual was on the ground after being pushed to the ground by another individual, you then can argue, well, you know, I'm on the ground, I can't run, my only option is to pull out a gun and shoot someone. That's the scary part of this, that even with, without standard ground laws, there's a way out for people like this. And, yeah. that's, the, and that's the thing people need to recognize. Well, I think, I think probably what would have happened is it would have been pled down to something like justifiable manslaughter, and the justifiable part would be feared for your life. But I think that there would still be charges. I, you know, it's the, the maybe in Texas they could have they could have gotten out of it. But um, that, that's pretty amazing. Steve, call, thanks for the call and thanks for pointing that out. Maine in Chicago. Hey, Maine, what's on your mind today? Hey, how you doing, Tom? Good. Yeah. Uh, what, what I, uh, um, when it comes to election times, when you're talking about uh, you know the American black people and what happens, we get marginalized to three fifths of a person again. Because you know that three uh, that that came in during the election times back uh, in the, what colonial or the early part of the, the this country's uh, making, right. and so uh, because of the South, there was more actually more slaves than there were white people in the South. So they had to do something about that when it came to elections. So they made us three fifths of a person, right. and it seems like every time we when it comes to election time. Uh, when it comes to getting our issues or what we need or what we want, we get, seem to get, uh, they say, yeah, yeah, they, they promise us little and give us hardly nothing. And so to me, that's like being marginalized again <clears throat> to that three-fifths of a person. Uh, hmm. They just want your vote to get in and then and uh, to get what they want, and then we're forgotten about. And what we need is people. We need candidates who will be for the people and, and will Stand for rights that we want, like free education, free health care, uh, pay student athletes. I mean, truly democratize capitalism with with uh, democratic issues, just like they want to privatize you. Now, when you come into privatization, that means you go you going over into the commons and stuff, and you want to uh, democratize. You want to capitalize democracy, but this is supposed to be a democracy first. Because without a democracy, you wouldn't have a capitalism. Yeah, yeah, all excellent points, Maine. And I'm hearing, I'm hearing this loud and clear from from our African American listeners and viewers that uh, many of you are feeling that uh, the Democratic Party even has, uh, you know, aggressively worked for the benefit of gay people, of immigrants, of of Hispanics, of uh, you know, uh, Muslims. And, and has not as aggressively worked on, on behalf of African Americans. I get that. I didn't actually get that yesterday, and I, I get, I'm getting that today. Man, thank you for the call, and thanks for uh, participating in the enlightenment of Tom Hartman. Michael in southwestern Michigan. Hey, Michael, what's on your mind today? Yeah, uh, hi, Tom. Hey. I'm, uh, you always say, I'm still out here in my woods, right, trying to get the house rebuilt. You said that when I live in the woods, I become a part of it, right? Yeah. So, uh, the, I'm standing on the tree line so I can get a good signal looking over my farmer's square mile uh -huh. of, uh, wow. of, of crops. You know, um, first of all, I joined the Democratic Party, and I'm running for a uh, precinct delegate. Great. At your, at, your, at your behest. And what I want to say is, we, we fail, we're asking the wrong question because we don't have the language. You can't ask what the Democrats have done for a particular group like my group, which were brought here against their will on slave ships. I can explain to you who I am without using a color, a demographic, or a label. Mm -hmm. What you have to realize is that poor people versus the, the, the 10%, it's more of us than them, and when we frame things that way, you have to understand poor people and people like my group, my ancestors, we suffer from PTSD, and in many cases, uh, problems with adult ADHD. And living in these woods, I'm having to be like a hunter. I hunt for everything. And when you talk, you may be talking to hunters, 
we're trying to survive in a farmer's world, right? Mm -hmm. and to use the ADD metaphor, yeah. Exactly. And what happens is people like Maxine Waters and my friend here locally, they're considered brash or outspoken or hostile. And that's even when uh, women who may be hunting or you realize, right, that they're showing you what we admire in men for the most part. So let's not make that mistake. But what I want to say is when you I, I joined the party because I want to change the language to a language of victory. Mm -hmm. Lee Atwater was no genius, but he knew the importance of language. Yeah. Right? And what I want this party to do is rather than focus with language that talks about how many Detroit voters were thrown off, let's talk about the voting deadlines in every state. Rather than beat mm -hmm. people with a cudgel, you know, saying, you don't vote enough, you don't vote enough. Wrong. You turn us off with that. Tell us what deadlines are coming up. Yeah, October 10th is the registration deadline. Be sure you get out there before then. That's what you're saying, right? That's what I'm saying. And the only reason I found out was because I got a notice with my summer tax bill. Hmm. If you don't receive one of those, you won't know. Wow. So it becomes the haves against the have-nots. Are you seeing what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Clearly. So basically. What I want the Democrats to do is to learn how to win locally. Mm -hmm. They can't do that, and they try to win nationally. Explain to people that your local elected officials, some are appointed to the Electoral College. Mm -hmm. Okay? If you don't like the results in two elections, change the Electoral College by knowing your voting deadlines. Be yeah. aggressive. We're hunters. There you go. Okay, Michael, well said and, and spot on. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you for the call. And thanks, for, thanks for sharing your story with us. Whew. 15 minutes. We got, we've got a lot of work to do in this country. 15 minutes past the hour here on the Tom Hartman Program. We'll be right back. And, and welcome back. Uh, let me see here. Joan in Nashville, Tennessee, watching on Free Speech TV. Hey, Joan, what's on your mind? Um... Well, I want to first address the uh, young African-American man who just called and spoke to what he saw as the, uh, or what he sees as the poor, poor participation of African-Americans in the electoral process. Mm -hmm. But, uh, and I don't, well, yeah, I, I have to put some responsibility on him because, it's, you know, he, he has the ability to read history and to find out why. I mean, African-Americans, as long as we've been able to vote, we've participated. But our voting doesn't get us anything. In fact, if you have enough money, you don't have to vote at all, and your issues and concerns are addressed. So just voting isn't the answer. And, um, but it is, a, also, it is a piece, is it not? It's a piece, but it's in my experience, it's like throwing money out the window because African-Americans' votes have put many of whites in office, and then once they get into office, they completely ignore us. Yeah. I mean, just like the uh, other lady, African-American, mentioned, all of the compassion, all of the empathy for what's happening on the border with the Latinos, and as a human being... That hurts me, too. But it seems that nobody, just like the lady said, they cannot extend that same compassion and empathy toward the plight of African Americans. Every factor, every element that you mentioned when you're talking about uh, the Latinos at the border or people in other countries, African Americans are experiencing those same situations and conditions every day and they're being perpetrated by the american government yeah. with the sanction either implicitly or explicitly by white americans but yet they can go to war to defend people in other countries when they are abusing our human rights yeah. it's illegal for me to be black and breathing now, how do you deal with that? How do you live with that every day? 
the question that needs to be asked is, why aren't all African Americans murderers? Why don't all African Americans shoot or kill or harm any white person they come in contact with? Because this country's been at war with us ever since we've been here. They brought us here to be at war with us. Our situation is different from everybody else's in this country, with the exception of the Native Americans. And yet they, they spend all this energy and time and money fighting other countries when they're doing the same thing to African Americans. In fact, people who come to this country, the people on the border now that I am empathizing with, once those people get in this country and become white, they will turn on black people just like the whites who are already here. But yet we are supposed to always be compassionate, always empathize. What about us? And we're not... I hear you, Joan. Joan, I, I've got a, that music is we're, we're, we're hitting a break here, but I, I hear you. Thank you so much. We'll be back. Welcome back. Tom Hartman here with you. Edna in Cleveland, Ohio. Hey, Edna, what's up? Hi, Tom. I just wanted to comment on the African-American callers. Mm -hmm. I'm a 70-year-old African-American woman, and... To say that voting doesn't help, my head wanted to explode. Mm. You have to vote. You have to vote in every election. We voted in massive numbers for Obama, and then we didn't come back in the midterm and support him, and, you, and we let the Congress go. That's the type of thing that hurts us. You have to vote, and you have to vote in every election, not just the presidential election. That's all I wanted to say. Well, thank you. You said it very well, Edna. Thank you. Bye-bye. Um, Bye-bye. Good talking with you. I appreciate it. Uh, let's see here. Thomas in Las Cruces, New Mexico. Hey, Thomas, what's up? Tom, how are you today, Good. sir? Good. It's on your mind. Good. Hey, uh, I think uh, if we quit dropping bombs a lot and maybe do a little bit of financial help down in uh, Central and South America, we could solve a lot of the refugee problems. And it'd probably be uh, less expensive than throwing bombs on people. And yeah, let's let's be very terrorism. clear that the, the the refugees who are showing up on our southern borders right now are fleeing violence in three countries that Ronald Reagan inter intervened in, meddled with: uh, Nicaragua, Guatemala, and El Salvador. He funded rev essentially revolutions, changes in, in governance in all three of those countries, and the consequence of that has been 40 years of civil war. And people are fleeing mm -hmm. basically civil wars in each one of those three countries, whether they're declared or undeclared. This is the result of Republican U.S. foreign policy, period. Back to you. Correct. But, I mean, if we stop meddling in other people's affairs like that, yep. we wouldn't be having the refugees trying to come here. I and agree. when they do need to come here, especially with what you uh, just described, how can you turn them away? Isn't yeah. that inhumane? It is. It absolutely you is. You the problem, and then you don't want to do nothing to solve it. Yep, it absolutely Instead is. Instead of making a, a regime change, why don't we find out what they need as a, as, uh, as a country? You know what I mean? Do they need some technology? Uh, do they need education? Well, they need, I mean, you know, Costa Rica solved this problem, Thomas. At the same time that we were trashing uh, you know, Guatemala, El Salvador, and, and Honduras, and thank you for the call, Thomas. At the same time, we were taking those countries apart, you know, Reagan was. Um, Costa Rica said, enough of this. We're not even going to have an army. It's not a good spend expenditure of money. We're, we're a little country, you know, we're just not even going to have an army, and we're going to have uh, very low cost, virtually free health care for everybody, and college education for all, full education, all the way up through MD for everybody. And uh, when I, last time Louise and I were in Costa Rica, we had a cab driver take us out to where we were going. He was talking about how uh, his two kids just graduated from college, and, and you know, everybody has great health care and everything. It's like, it's a, amazing. John in McKees Rock, Pennsylvania. Hey, John. Uh, got about a minute and a half here. What's up? Yes, thanks for taking my call before the show ends. Uh, Tom, um, I don't listen to your show as often as I used to, but I don't really hear Venezuela covered or what's happening in Palestine, especially Venezuela and the hyperinflation. Yeah. Now, about your book, about the crash of 2016, um, you know, eventually hyperinflation is going to hit us. And I feel it's going to be, um, they're going to blame Trump or maybe even the Democrats, if they uh, control Congress in November. So, I mean, regardless, I don't really see 
if you have everybody in power that should be, you know, I mean, just suppose we create change in this country. I think it's going to be too late by then. Well, I think, you know, in, in terms of whether or not there's a, a major economic correction coming, it's, it is already way too late. And the, and the problem is that we haven't, I'm going to sneeze here. And just, excuse me. The problem is that we haven't fixed the damaged uh, structures, economic structures, that were basically wrecked by, you know, largely during the Reagan administration, some of it by Republicans at the end of the Clinton administration by Congress. But, you know, the deregulation of the banks, the deregulation of the insurance industries, the, the, uh, the change in the law about executive compensation. So now C CEOs, ever since the mid-80s, CEOs no longer care about the local community. They no longer care about their workers. They only care about the stock price because that's how they get paid. Okay. So there's a whole Real bunch of structural quick. stuff there, John, that, that is, you know, that we need to be looking at step by step. But, uh, and yeah, I, I would, in fact, there's a couple of people who are really good on Venezuela. We should get them on the show. And, uh, uh, and the Palestinian situation, obviously, is a, is, a, is a real problem. Thanks a lot for the call. Thank you for being with us today. We'll be back tomorrow, same time, same place. And in the meantime, don't forget, democracy is not a spectator sport. It's really not. We can't afford to just sit back and say, oh, you know, not a big deal. No, we gotta get, you've got to get involved. Get out there, get registered to vote, and act. Tag, you're it. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.